Hey, so we should be live for uh, the Been Around the World podcast, episode six. Uh, this is the second of the interview chat series um, that I'm doing. Last week, I chatted with Dan with my usual podcast catch-up. Oh, and now I can hear myself in the background. This is the second of the interview chat series. Uh, today, uh, I'm chatting with Josiah Skeet, who I've uh, been following very briefly through, uh, through Instagram. Uh, and has just achieved so much over the last few years that I can ever dream of in, uh, in my trip possible. So thanks for joining, Josiah. How are you doing? No worries. Thanks for having me. Hello. <laughs> no worries. Whereabouts see you now? I'm actually in London, back in England. It's my first time here in a while. I uh, flew back from Cape Town just a couple of weeks ago for Christmas. Nice. So back with family and with friends. Yeah, it's awesome. Nice. It must be feeling good. How long have you been on the road so far? I left in May 2015. 2015. So it has been coming up for four years. I can't wow. believe it's been so long. I only, I only left for one year. And I wow. just fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> Your original plan was one year? Yeah. That's so nuts. England to Sydney, then I'll be done, come back and get a proper job. Wow. Well, I'm still going now and I've still not got a proper job. <laughs> so going back four years, what before then? What what were you doing, and what kind of got you into to cycling in the first place and travel in the first place? So I'm from London, uh, but I always had a bit of a love of the outdoors. And so when I got the chance to go to university, I went to Aberystwyth in Wales, mm -hmm. and I uh, studied law. And there's a real outdoor scene there. I was meeting people who they've just been kayaking over their summer holidays in Uganda, or they've been wow. skiing in Japan. And so I just threw myself into all these sports. I was kayaking, a little bit of mountain biking. I was doing a lot of climbing. And I just threw myself into this kind of alternative outdoor lifestyle. And then when I got the opportunity or the dream to cycle around the world, that was it. That was always the plan. Nice. So it's the fault of your of peer pressure. So that's not the normal peer pressure you hear at university. No, it's not, is it? It's quite positive peer pressure, I think. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So are there any other characters that, like books that you read or other adventures that you saw uh, that inspired you particularly to get into cycle touring? So the one who swung it over was the iconic Alistair Humphreys. Okay. I remember um, I was procrastinating from writing an essay and I stumbled onto, an art, onto, a, onto his website and I discovered that it cycled around the world for four years for £7,000. Wow. And I thought, wow, I've really got no excuses now. And I remember rushing downstairs to tell my flatmates, guys, I'm cycling around the world. And they said, you're crazy. You're going to die. I wasn't a cyclist. That so was entirely a reasonable comment. But that just motivated me even more to prove them wrong and cycle around the world. Nice. So you weren't a cyclist really before you left? No, not at all. Uh, the day I left was the first time on a, on a bike in a year. It was wow. just, how hard can it be? I'll figure it out along the way. And actually, when I left, my biggest fear was that I didn't enjoy cycling enough to uh, do it for one year. I thought I'd get really bored. But how did that end up? You got used oh, to it? Funny. <laughs> it's funny, I still, I still don't call myself a cyclist. I just, I'm a traveler on a bike. But now I, I have got used to it. I've learned how to fix the bike after a number of problems. Yeah. And yet, I guess many people would now call me a cyclist. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so interesting, man. How long do you think it took you to... Uh, to kind of get used to, to cycling every single day? Oh, I'd say surprisingly quickly, actually. I'd say within about a month, I was feeling about as fit as I do now, almost peak fitness. Really? And 
yeah, I was, I was in a routine. I could easily do 100 kilometers, 80 kilometers in a day. Nice. And it was not, not too hard. Nice. And how, kind of how heavy is your bike in the kit that you've got? So the bike on its own is 16. Okay. And then I think average is around 55 kilos nice. with all the luxuries and necessities. Yeah. I know that when I went through the Australian Outback, I had to, it was 15 days between shops. And I had to carry 25 liters of water. So wow. I guess the bike was weighing about 90 kilos. Wow. And oh, I couldn't lift it. I was dragging it through sand. Yeah. That was a really, really tough section. Wow. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to that because I'm really, I'm, so far on my trip, I've, I've been never more than about 20 kilometers from the nearest shop with exceptions of some parts of Turkey. So I'm really intrigued to hear a bit more about that later on. But what's your, um, what's your route been then for the cycling element of the last four years? Where, which countries have you traveled in and how did you get to Sydney? So I left from England and I followed the uh, Euro Velo 6 along the River ah, Danube yes. until uh, Austria. And then I got a bit bored with, that wasn't the adventure I'd left in search of, you know, nice, cycle paths and uh, <laughs> signposts so i just turned south and went on a bit of an adventure on my own and i zigzagged through all the balkan countries sort of bosnia montenegro kosovo albania and i fell in love with that sort of adventure and taking the dirt tracks the off-beaten route mm. and i continued across turkey georgia azerbaijan took a ferry across to kazakhstan and onto the silk road i went uzbekistan tajikistan kyrgyzstan and then i'd planned to go into china and my visa was denied. Uh, Overnight, I had to throw away all my plans. I hopped on a plane to Delhi. Yes. And then I took a three-day train, three train to the southernmost point of India. Mm-hmm. And then I spent two months cycling back through India, crossed through Nepal, Burma, did a loop of Southeast Asia, and then down to Singapore. Island hopped across Indonesia to a small country called East Timor, okay. which is the closest country to Australia, and then through the outback and around the coast of Sydney. Amazing. Amazing. And how did you get, did you have to fly to Australia or is there a way to get over there by boat? Yeah, sadly. So nah. in, in Singapore, I started going around the harbour yeah. and the port and hey, are you going to Australia? Anyone going to Australia? And the way and the currents were the wrong way. Ah. Trade winds. So everyone was going west towards India or to Africa. And a few people said, hey, you can come with me. Yeah. And I said, no, my mind was set to Australia. So in the oh, end, man. I had to fly. Oh, that's killer. That's a little selfish question there because I'm convinced that I want to take as few flights as possible because it's, uh, I know the pain of boxing a bike up and, yeah. and uh, when it same. comes out the other side with bends. It crushed me. Yeah, I've flown with a bike three times, I think, and there's always been some damage. Yeah. No matter how careful you are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 55 kilos check-in luggage is pretty, <laughs> pretty painful as well yeah. sometimes. Expensive, yeah. So, um... I was reading your blog before the call and you, I came across, oh, I'm in India now, I'm in, I've been in India for about six weeks. I haven't, I'm just about to kind of go on my adventure and leave from Goa um, and the West Coast to, to travel a bit more in the country. But um, I came across your story of your, your time in Northern India and I was absolutely blown away. Can you tell me what happened? Yes, India was a bit surreal for me. Uh, I arrived in the southernmost point not knowing anyone. I could probably only name about five Indian cities, Mumbai, Delhi, Agra. And uh, anyway, so I emailed a few schools and I emailed a few cycling clubs and said, hey, I'd like to give a talk. Uh, I've been given a few talks about my trip around the world. And I gave a talk to this one cycling club and they said, wow, this is awesome. We want to help you. And they said, what's your route? 
And I said, well, I don't really know. I don't have a route. I kind of go with the flow. And they said, okay. And they created a WhatsApp group. And they added all their friends, all their family, strangers, people that they'd never even met and said, hey, this guy's cycling around the world. Can he meet you? Can he stay with you? Amazing. And so suddenly the group grew from three guys to 20 people to about 100 people. And I found myself a bit of a celebrity in India somehow. I was on, <laughs> I was on the TV very regularly. Wow. One day a guy came up to me and he was holding a newspaper. And I was on the front cover. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, and I said to him, what does it say? Because it was written in Hindi. Yeah. And he said, oh, it's just telling us all what clothes you were wearing yesterday. <laughs> and I'd start a fashion trend with my lycra. No way. <laughs> and yeah, anyway, so somehow I was invited to stay with him every night for the whole four months I was in India. Never had wow. to camp, never had to stay in a hotel. And sometimes I'd have a cycling club and they'd ride with me until mm. about lunchtime. And they'd have contacted the next cycling club in the next town. And no they'd way. cycle up to they'd pass me over and then I'd be passed on from one cycling club to the next and that happened for a week or two at a time that's unbelievable crazy real Indian hospitality that's incredible did you have really really um any memorable characters that you met during those uh those weeks did I so when I went into Nepal uh, I went into Nepal from India my sort of fame I guess had spread across the border and waiting for me at the Nepali border was the president of the Communist Party. You're kidding me. And he'd been waiting, <laughs> been waiting up two hours because he'd heard I was coming. And he'd filled in all my paperwork. So he'd written yeah. my name, my date of arrival, my arrival by bike. And all I had to do was sign. And then after that, he took me back to his uh, hotel. And we sat up all drinking. I had a free night. I had a free night stay in the hotel. And we sat up drinking rum until late on the night. So that was, yeah, that was an interesting welcome to a country. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, considering normally you just spend hours sitting there waiting to be, to be pulled yeah, through. Normally, like, you know. normally queues and paperwork and money. and <laughs> That's unbelievable. So I'm assuming like, India was your, your favourite country out of the trip. Yeah, India was the favourite country, mostly because of the people. Yeah. But I also loved the diversity. I'm sure you, you found it already or you will find it. Mm. That every state is different. You cross the border and there's a different food. There's a different language. Yeah. They wear different things. They have their own festivals. And I just got was so addicted to crossing from one state to the next and just being, right, wow, what's happening <laughs> here? Life is so different. Where am I now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I found that definitely being... Uh arriving in Maharashtra in Mumbai and then going down to Goa now and uh, yeah. just I didn't even realize how all the different influences come in so here now in Goa is a Portuguese colony so exactly. I've seen the most Portuguese looking uh, looking Indians I've ever ever seen uh, in the trip so far and suddenly everyone's eating meat which has been completely absent yeah. for the last however long which is incredible. Um, yeah and al alcohol will flow yes like Goa. and then to the south in uh, Kerala it's almost a dry state. You can't right. buy alcohol. Wow. Everything changes. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. What, what would you say was your sort of favorite states then as you, as you went through India? Oh. Do you have one? Putting you on the spot. I think Maharashtra. I really like that. That was where I had mm. the most hospitality. Yeah. Uh, I liked Kerala. Kerala was beautiful and peaceful and laid back. The beaches were nice. All the food has coconut in, which was so delicious. Yeah. In terms of the most unusual, the northeastern corner of mm. India, uh, 
just between Bangladesh and Burma, those states are a completely different culture. They're, the people look Chinese mm. and they, yeah, completely different culture. I found that really fascinating to travel through. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, um, I've heard so much about the Northeast and around Bhutan and everything, and uh, it seems like yeah. incredible culture, so different to the it's kind of rainforest down here, right? And uh, and then there's more desert bits in between, so it's it's really it should be a continent. Yeah. Yeah. And really while you're, in, yeah, I can't wait, man. I really you're you're getting even more excited about leaving than uh, I was before. In terms of while you're in India, did you um, have any struggles with? Well, just in the five days that I've cycled here, the heat has been pretty, pretty um, different to the Caucasus where I was before. The roads have been really rough, and uh, I've got to get used to like cows jumping out and things like that, and and trucks overtaking at full pelt. So you didn't have any issues, no? You did, you you enjoyed the cows and the potholes and things like that. Yeah, I actually didn't find it too dangerous because the drivers, a, they're on the horns all the time, so you hear yeah. them coming a mile. And B, they're used to having a cow on the road or a rickshaw, or a rickshaw guy. Yeah. And so they're just used to absolutely crazy roads. And so as a cyclist, I always felt quite safe. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I do feel like uh, a difference in attitude towards cyclists here. I think cycling from London, you know, the you get obscenity shouted at you on a, on a too regular basis, yeah. really, relative to here, actually, where, you know, people think it's scary. But apart from, the only thing I found was dust. Like I got unbelievably like dusty by the end of the day, uh, which is just, yeah, I've never experienced that before in my life. Yeah. Having said that, I did have a guy cycling behind me for a few days and he was filming with a GoPro. Oh, yeah. And then when I could see everything that was happening behind me, the chaos that I was <laughs> unaware of, I was watching the footage back like, oh my God. <laughs> like not feeling safe, but that was the only occasion. Oh yeah. What kind of stuff? People cutting in or? Yeah, trucks come in and me. Oh, yeah. Didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be aware, uh, unaware of that stuff, blissfully unaware, right? Yeah, it is, absolutely. Awesome. So, um, yeah, moving on a little bit to, to the Australian outback, just because that's something that I'm super interested in. Uh, what, was the, what was the route that you take to get, to get across Australia? Is it a set route? Okay, I landed in Darwin in the north. And then straight through the middle to Adelaide in the south. So if you cut, draw a line that cuts Australia in the half, north to south, that's pretty much what I cycled. Uh, there is a tarred road, but that has the road trains on and it's busy and it's one lane and it's fast and there's not much to see. Not that there's much to see in Australia anyway. <laughs> but um, I wanted a really authentic Australian outback experience. So I did it on dirt roads as much as I could, just to the wow. side which was Australia's tough. <laughs> yeah. Is it, so are those dirt roads like just kind of tracks and are they sandy? Like how do you actually manage to get there on like ride yeah, that on the bike? Yeah, they're sandy tracks. So you do need quite thick wheels for that. Were you just like stuck at any point where you thought, why am I not on the tarmac? I pushed a lot. <laughs> ah, wow. That is commitment. No, no, you, you could cycle most of it. Normally it wasn't too corrugated and it wasn't too sandy. There were sections where you did just have to get up and push. And I think even if you had really fat tires, there's going to be sections where with that much weight, you're getting yeah. up and you're pushing. Did you know, do you know how far away you were from civilization at any one point? Well, uh, there's, lots of, like, there's lots of road houses, they're called. 
Okay. And they're basically a petrol station with a cafe with expensive food that I definitely couldn't afford to buy. Um, I guess I was a thousand five hundred kilometers from a decent sized town at points. You have Alice Springs in the middle, which is the yeah. first town of any size, and then you leave there and it, the signposts only stay right two thousand kilometers to Adelaide, which is the next town. Wow, really, pretty barren. I remember going into one town that had been on the signposts for one hundred and ten kilometers, and there'd been nothing for one hundred and ten k. Wow, and I get there and I pull, in, I pull into the pub to fill up my water bottles. And I said to the guy, oh, how many people live here? And he goes, oh, well, there's Jack, and there's Damo, and there's Bobbo. And there were nine people in this whole village. And That's that amazing. It. God, what, what a life it is to live out there. That must be really, Yeah, really remote, really isolated people. And personally, how did you deal with the sort of isolation? I imagine you had some nights where, or days even, where you were just away from people for, for a long time. Well, I got really lucky. I met a cyclist in in the north of Australia on my third day. Wow. And she, she was cycling through too. So we stayed together for six weeks. No way. And it was really, really good to have that company. I think otherwise I would have gone absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, the nights were amazing. That wasn't the problem because you could, the stars were up, absolutely incredible. There was more uh, stars than black spaces. Wow. Uh, it was during the day when you're cycling and the horizon isn't getting any closer and it feels like you're cycling on a treadmill. Yeah. And there's a thousand flies in your eyes and it's 50 degrees hot. Wow. And you know that you're two days from water and seven days from food. And you just need to think, right, I've got no option but to keep going. <laughs> That's amazing. But you, you got some surprise company. That was good then. Yeah, that was, I was so thankful for that. I think, honestly, I'd have gone crazy without that. <laughs> and are you still friends? Do you still stay in touch after this? Yeah, yeah, we're still in touch. She uh, just finished cycling in South America. Amazing. Now back in England for a while. Wow. Oh, so British as well. Yeah, British girl too. Wow, what a chance. What a chance of that. It's amazing. Um, so you mentioned before that um, about the cost side of it. That's something that's really interesting. Like You said that um, you, I read a blog post that you said about where you kind of went through how much it costs you to, to cycle yeah. around the world because people imagine you know that hotels and food and all this kind of stuff and travel is going to cost a lot of money so maybe I can't something that I can never do it's unattainable but uh but how much does it have you like spent on average uh, per day to to do the trip that you've done so I have added up every penny cent dong pound that I spent across the trip and I think it comes to about three pound a day wow so the whole three years of travel has cost I think it's three thousand five hundred pounds or five thousand dollars. So wow. not much at all. It has been really low end and quite affordable for most people around the world. Hmm. And based on that, kind of what are there some things that you've done to kind of save costs? Obviously, you mentioned like carrying your own food and your own water across across the outback and things like that, and obviously taking and uh, just having amazing hospitality in India. There are, are there other tips that you have for, for kind of travelling frugally. I massively avoid paying for accommodation. Yeah. And I will either camp or I will find somewhere to stay with people through couch surfing or warm showers or just find somewhere where people don't mind me sleeping. Normally, every country is kind of a niche of people who are welcoming to tourists. Mm. So in Thailand, the police will let you sleep in police stations for free. Oh. In India, I found schools would let me sleep in schools for free. In Turkey, I 
I was staying in petrol stations for free. Yeah. So if you kind of learn up where you can, where you can sleep, it becomes ever so affordable. Your only cost is food and visas and bike repair, mm. but mostly food. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I'd met, um, I met like a motorcycle traveler in Turkey who'd been, who'd been staying in mosques, for example, on the way, which I think, yeah. and also I've had petrol stations as well. That's, uh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And in, yeah. in India, keep your eyes up for schools. Go into a yeah. school at six o'clock. Yeah. Say, hey, I'm stuck around the world. Can I pitch my tent here? That's so interesting. Say, oh, sir, you can come into our classroom. No problem. <laughs> amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how I get on with that. Yeah, let me know. So cycling is not the only thing you've been doing um, over those four years. Like, what happened when you got to Australia? What was the next stage of your adventure? So I was planning on flying to New Zealand and uh, cycling there next. When I got an email in my inbox, just ping up. Uh, hey, I'm looking for crew. I've been sailing around the world for two years and I'm on the final leg of my journey. Do you want to come and work on my sailboat and come from Australia to South Africa? No way. So, again, that was almost instant, right? I'm not going to New Zealand anymore. I'm sailing to Africa. I, uh, I'd worked in Australia for five months when I got there to save up some cash. So I quit my job. And two weeks later, I was on a boat. Wow. And then, yeah, I spent three months in the Indian Ocean, just me and two other guys on a 10-meter sailing boat, which was a really unique experience, very different to the cycling. Yeah, yeah. Did you have to learn everything of how to, to deal with the boat, I suppose? Yeah, so I'd never sailed at all. So obviously, the captain was very experienced, so he taught me everything. And by the end, I was really beginning to let, get the hang of it, learn how to sail. And what were your, what was the captain and, and your crewmate like? Uh, the crewmate left halfway through, which was sad. So then it was just me and the captain. Hmm. The captain was okay. He was a very good instructor. I found him increasingly challenging as a personality. Oh, yeah. As the trip on. But uh, it was a good lesson in cooperation and teamwork and ultimately working together to that goal of sailing across the ocean. Yeah, I imagine being on a boat together really tests your personality after a while. Yeah, you're in really close confines. So the whole three months, I don't think I was ever more than about five meters away from him. Wow. Constantly on top of each other. You have to balance what music you listen to. You're having dinner and he's peeing off the side of the boat. And then you're showering while he's cooking food. And you're constantly on top of each other and working in each other's space. So, yeah, that was a real lesson in teamwork and not having much privacy or comfort. But it was a really, really a good experience. And uh, wh where did you actually, how did you end up in, in Africa from, uh, from, from Australia? What was the, the route that you took? So it was 10,000 kilometers at sea okay. from Darwin to Durban, which is in the east of South Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, most of that time was at sea. We stopped at five islands on uh, the way. Okay. And so it was a fairly direct. Uh, sorry, yeah, fairly direct. Interesting. And were the islands, did you just go to some amazingly untouched places on the way? I cannot describe how beautiful these islands were. We stopped at five. One of them was completely uninhabited. So it was one of those kind of postcard perfect places that you see. It was one kilometre long, just 200 metres wide, and it just had one coconut tree on it, barely <laughs> a few, few metres above sea level. And so we we'd anchored the boat and we swam ashore. And as we were swimming ashore, there were turtles swimming around us and sharks and um, giant manta rays. And then on the, on the uh, island, there were just birds everywhere and turtle tracks where they'd come on to lay their eggs. Oh, it was right. completely, 
picturesque. Wow. That sounds absolutely incredible. I'm very envious of that. <laughs> I, I'd recommend it. I really would. Yeah, I have to get on that, I think. And then from, uh, from Africa, from South Africa, what did you, from Darwin, what did you do next? So I only landed in South Africa five weeks before Christmas. Okay. This is just five weeks ago now. Yeah. I spent the last month before I came home um, cycling from Durban to Cape Town. So along, Durban, across Durban. South Africa. Okay, interesting. And how did that compare to, to the other continents that you'd ridden across? So actually, I thought it was going to be really, really, really different. I've heard so many horror stories about Africa, how dangerous it is. I had maybe 10 to 15 people message me saying, Africa's not like Asia, you can't just cycle across it. Mm. And I was met with the same hospitality and friendship. And I met the same amazing people as I had all around the rest of the world. It was really kind of heartwarming. And I was annoyed with myself that I'd ever felt that, that, that it was going to be more Nothing. dangerous. Mm. People are people, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, I was in South Africa five weeks i never had to pay for anywhere to sleep and i only had to use my tent three times every really? night i was invited with people i stayed on game farms where there were elephants and giraffes i stayed with farmers who owned yeah it was amazing i stayed in this shepherd's hut at the top of a mountain with these shepherds who just lived in stone huts and they had this old antique radio that they played me some uh, lesotho music and they hmm. taught me how to dance, and then I taught them how to floss. Oh, nice. we were, we were all the dance exchange. Yeah, it was quite a funny, quite a funny experience. That's absolutely amazing. That's absolutely amazing. That, that's, I think that's the power of uh, of traveling that way, isn't it? You're so uh, so vulnerable in some ways, but also, yeah, people uh, don't potentially don't feel as threatened as you if you turn up that's at a massive, overloaded four by four into their their small town or whatever. That's exactly spot on. When you go in, people are just curious. What, what on earth is this crazy white foreigner doing in here? What is he doing? How does he need help? He doesn't look rich. He doesn't look like someone we can make some money off. He just looks like someone that needs a place to stay or somewhere to eat. Mm, absolutely. So the one question that I've got a lot since I left, which I'm sure you have along the way, is, uh, is why are you doing this in the first place? I'm interested to hear what your kind of personal ethos is um, for, for taking a trip like this and also for sustaining it, obviously, beyond the, the first year that you plan to, to do it. Yes, yeah, so this is a question that many people have asked me and I've had to ask myself. Because yeah. when I left, it just, it just sort of seemed right. It seemed like a good thing to do. It seemed more fun than going and studying, going and continuing to work in law. And I've kind of managed to hone in on the answer the more I've travelled. And I think I can just sort of sum it all up as curiosity. It's about discovering these lands where I've got so many questions and meeting these people and finding answers to my questions and just looking at how people live differently and what life is like around the world. And then as the trip has gone on, it's also taken on a sharing aspect. So I've realized that I'm very privileged, very lucky to be able to see the world from this viewpoint. And I've actually got, I think, a much more accurate uh, perspective than the media does mm. all this negativity i see on tv and in newspapers i've been traveling vulnerably for four years now and i've not experienced any of that so i think that the more i travel it's continuing to answer my questions but also to share what an amazing world we live in mm. that's amazing <laughs> and uh if people want to uh follow where you are and what you're doing um how would they do that 
Yeah, so I'm Josiah Skeets. And if you search Josiah Skeets on Facebook or Instagram, or if you go to josiahskeets.com, you'll find it all there. Awesome. And then from this point on, after Christmas, what is your kind of, what is your future plans? What will people see if they subscribe there? Yeah, so I've left the bike in Cape Town. And in just over a month, I'm flying back out there. And I'll uh, spend the next year or so heading back from Cape Town through Africa to England. Amazing. Well, I'll definitely be watching as well. And maybe, yeah. we, can, uh, maybe we can catch up again after that leg and see, uh, and see how it good. was. Yeah, I'd like that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Josiah, uh, uh, for joining me. Um, if you want to get updates for the next uh, interview that I do, if you subscribe to this channel, youtube.com slash benbola, there will be um, alerts for each live stream that I do. And this also goes out as an audio podcast at benbola.com slash podcast. Uh, yeah, and we'll see you there. Leave a comment if you know anyone. I'm going to ask you after this, Josiah, if you know anyone, or you've met anyone along the way that I should speak to as well. But if you're listening to this and you know, then put a comment below who I should speak to. And I should be back. I've got a couple of other tourers that I've met so far lined up for the coming months. I've got to do a bit of cycling myself, and then I'll, uh, and then I'll get those scheduled. But mainly, thank you so much, Josiah. Thanks for joining me. It's been awesome to speak to you. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Awesome. Safe journey, and I'll speak to you soon. Good luck with your own trip. <laughs> Cheers. Bye.